Well, hi, this is Paul Gladder with Religion Unplugged, our podcast about religion and public life. And I'm delighted to have a guest today who is also actually a colleague at the King's College in New York City, uh, Todd Von Helms, who is a fellow with King's College. And uh, welcome, Todd. I look forward to hearing about this book you wrote. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Great. So, um, you know, Todd, you've worked a lot in education, in higher education, K to 12, I understand as well. But tell us about, uh, you know, why you wrote this book geared toward young people, right? That's right. Yeah, it's called Before You Leave for College, Career and Eternity. And really, part of it stems from my own journey. Uh, someone who grew up uh, enjoying the benefits of cultural or nominal Christianity, and I didn't even know it. Uh, I remember, you know, attending a public public high school. It was not uncommon for coaches to pray before and after games, for you know teachers to you know make reference to uh, you know Christ being the cornerstone upon which civilization was built, and they would point to the calendar with the BC before Christ, uh, and then AD Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And then when I went off to a large secular um, undergraduate institution, the University of Texas, as soon as I started taking literature or religion courses, uh, my worldview was challenged. And it was interesting to have friends and classmates uh, bring up questions uh, about the Bible or make comment about the Bible of things that I was not familiar with. And And I realized then that I was somewhat biblically illiterate. And I had a former priest who taught an English and American literature course just really challenge um, the authority of Scripture and introduced us to textual criticism. Uh, For instance, he said, you know, the Apostle Paul mentions letters in the New Testament that aren't in the New Testament. Well, were they not inspired either? Or what about the the, the Bible utilized by Catholics that has the Apocrypha? which is not in the Bibles you know, used by, by Protestants. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of, of things like that. And so at, on one hand, I was frustrated, but then on the other, it developed an insatiable desire to really want to know if, if, this, if this text is truly inspired by Almighty God as a Christian, I should be familiar with it. And when I, ta- when I quote things out of context, like oftentimes Christians do or you see in the media, those who've actually read the Bible um, see through that. So Christians think that they are being, you know, a witness for the truth, and yet it's actually might be unfortunately doing more more damage. So it, a lot of it started as an undergrad, but then as I began to work with with students as a youth minister, and then as a college professor, uh, and then a chaplain, and then also a headmaster at a private Episcopal school. Um, you know, I just saw a lot of the things I experienced personally come up with just hundreds of students. And I've always tried to, to place myself in an environment, an environment in which uh, it was okay to not be okay. And in fact, it was, we were encouraged to express our doubts. And I think C.S. Lewis said it best, you can't wholeheartedly embrace something as truth unless you first doubted it and worked through it. And so part of what I do in the book and the tone in which I take is that uh, I really try to be as objective as, as possible, even though that is impossible, we're all biased. But I, I want to, I, I designed the book in a way to spark conversation. This was for parents and their teenagers, as well as small groups, Sunday school course uh, classes. You know, some churches are, are walking through it as well. But these are topics that are biblical, but they're seldom, um, seldom talked about or, or thought about anymore. And so when, 
for those that in the things that are out there in the culture are sometimes um, just non-biblical or even sometimes antithetical to the truth. So if, if, for instance, if, if we were to base our um, belief in the supernatural, certainly the demonic based on the Hollywood portrayals in which we're all familiar, or even the church lady from Saturday night live with Dana Carvey, you know, that's not biblical. And yet for many of us, if you think about the devil, what comes to mind, it's going to be a caricature, right? A cartoon character or some grotesque image. And yet with scripture, and that's where I take every chapter, it starts off pretty much with some cultural awareness and historical quotes, but then I always take the reader into the scriptures to see what has the scripture taught and tradition upheld. And then once you've worked through that, you, I feel like you can reach a fair and hopefully healthy conclusion about each of the topics that I discuss in the book. We're going to spend a little time delving more into some of the, the chapters and content. And I wanted to think a little bit with you and hear your thoughts on the idea that we sometimes hear as faith formation. That seems to be the genre of this book. And, right. you know, our audience at Religion Unplugged is global, and we do care about various faiths. And our biggest audience and is probably Christianity, because this is uh, majority Christian country when you look at the, the data here in the U.S. Um, but it's interesting to think about religion is important to people in society, right. not just Christianity, but, but religion throughout the world is really important to people. Mm-hmm. And how does that faith that you teach your child or as they're growing up, how does that transfer into their own practice and their thought process? And I, I looked at the Pew data real quick here in, in America. It says younger millennials uh, you know, we know that some faith is sort of declining among some younger generations, but still 56% of younger millennials identify as Christian in America. What's the disconnect, though, that religious people have with the rest of society regarding our young people as they grow, as you call it, from college career into eternity? What's sort of the friction there? Well, I think each one of us obviously is on a journey, and it's a spiritual journey because we're holistic beings and there's a spiritual component there. And I think there's a universal longing for something beyond the grave. Um, C.S. Lewis, you know, once said, you know, there, there is this insatiable desire, this longing for which this world cannot satisfy, which tells me that I'm made for another world. And, you know, within the scriptures, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes says that, you know, there, God's put eternity in the hearts of, of men, of mankind. And I do think that is a universal, uh, that's universal because each person is made in the image of God. And each one of us is a product of the environment in which we were raised. And there's usually a religious component for most of us. And I think it is extremely important as spiritual beings to explore that and to be uh, in conversation with those who, who think differently and that you, you can do so and even debate in a healthy way. I think there's oftentimes a subtle acquiescence to uh, to many people or ideologies out there in order to avoid confrontation. And yet that's how we're made stronger, right? Scripture talks about iron sharpening, sharpening iron. And I think it's so important for us to know what we believe, why we believe it, and to have uh, perhaps older people, uh, seasoned veterans within our, our, our faith to walk us down the road and that will let us reach our own conclusions. Uh, it's been said, you know, at some point you have to adopt uh, the faith of your parents as your very own. And I think that spiritual formation is such an important part of our lives. I mean, back to the statistics with Pew and others I've read, I mean, it's that 
vast majority of people consider themselves, uh, you know, religious or spiritual, right? Uh, flea of the red hot chili peppers. Uh, one <laughs> said, I, you know, I love God. I hate religion. And I think the organized religion and the corruption within has what has turned a lot of young people off to religion. And they are very skeptical about that. But yet, even with some of the students that claim to be atheist or or even agnostic, what I would hear and see time and time again working with them is that it's really easy to dismiss uh, those those classmates or, or peers that, you know, say they believe in one thing and then their actions prove otherwise. But when you have teachers or older people in your life, these different mentors, where the words and actions, the scripture that they're quoting and supposedly trying to live out, when those are consistent, then it becomes more inviting and sometimes contagious and and compelling to make the young people want uh, to, to go deeper. And so that's one thing I try to do with this book is that I want to invite the conversation, is to enable people to think about topics, again, that are biblical and that are historical, they're part of the church tradition, uh, and, it, and it, it, is, it is trans-denominational. You'll notice that um, from my own background, I have a Baptist, Methodist, Anglican, uh, I've dear friends who are, who are Catholic, and, I, and what I try to do is major on the majors and not major on the, on the minors, and I think for many people as they read this book, they'll realize, wow, I've never really, I wasn't familiar with the Book of Common Prayer and the beautiful prayers that are really derived from scripture that are there, or that, you know, so much within Catholicism, which, you know, Protestantism came out of that, but there's beauty there, and oftentimes we will quote as Protestants, um, you know, things from our Catholic brethren of of yesteryear, or, you know, centuries before, uh, and yet there's, there's a stigma or something within many Protestants today, unfortunately, that that look at those who espouse other views of Christianity as being not brothers and sisters in Christ or the faith, but that, that somehow we're at odds and we can't, you know, learn from one another or serve together or worship together. And I think that's one thing I'm so encouraged by with what you're doing with Religion Unplugged is that you're allowing not only different branches of, of, the, of Christianity to collaborate, and learn from one another, but also the other religions that are there. And I do think we can learn a lot from having friendships and genuine conversations with those who are approaching God uh, from different ways, different angles. Yeah, yeah. And I, I really like what you were saying here and about historic Christianity and history, because it seems to me, and I'm curious what you say in your book about this uh, this element, but you know, it seems to me a lot of uh, culture attacks uh, religion, you know, secular culture attacks religion from different standpoints and doesn't give credit to the historic accomplishments and contributions. And I think a lot of young people in America don't seem, don't seem to understand. I mean, one, like, uh, one example, just the theological notion of human rights coming from Christian thought around personhood, right? The United Nations and in last century that, and there's probably many more concepts like that, that I don't think like the church maybe has connected the dots fully. And is that, does that match up with what you're writing about in this book or seeing in your experience? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, in, in somewhere in, well, in the West and especially in particular in, in America, uh, so many of the liberties that we enjoy are from the Judeo-Christian foundation upon which the nation was founded. And yet there are some who um, want to, uh, you know, erase that or uh, neglect that. And I think, we, we need to be careful of that because um, so many of the freedoms that we have, even the freedom of, of religion, 
um, freedom of speech. I mean, it, it's not only within the Constitution, but it, it's, you know, comes from Scripture. And I think that uh, religious liberty is important for everyone, even atheists, because you're able to express those disagreements because of that foundation that's there. And if you ask people in other countries where they do not have the same um, fabric or foundations in place, we see what the results often are. And so I do think that this is not just an issue of, of Christians, uh, for Christians, of some of the things we're seeing in the culture today, but this is something that we all should be concerned with. Uh, I think it's healthy to, to play devil's advocate or try to put yourself in the other person's shoes, because let's just take uh, the atheist, for example. Well, it's real easy to, oftentimes you see these second rate Christian movies that, you know, caricature atheists in such a negative light that it's like, well, of course, you know, that's easy to, to rail against and say, oh, you're foolish or whatever. But yet in real life with people who really struggle with a belief in God or God of the Bible, when you hear their story, if you had to base your faith solely on that testimony, you may have trouble believing in, in God as well. And I think that's important for us to really interact with people, again, that are different than us, and especially when it, when it comes to religion. So, so I, have, I have younger kids, so yeah. this book I'll be reading in, with them uh, in future years. But let's say my, I have a, a young person who's a sophomore or junior in high school, yep. and they're preparing to figure out where to go to college. And I'm the parent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what, like, um, as I'm thinking about this book or reading this book, what are the kinds of things that, that like the parent will learn and or the things that you want to tell a parent in this process about helping their child, you know, be ready for college career and eternity? Well, with, as a parent, and I am a parent myself, I have two boys. There's nothing more precious to me than my, than my boys. And it, they've been entrusted to my care. So while they're under my roof, it's my responsibility to create um, an environment in which they can be who they are, that they can explore, can ask questions. My boys know that, that there is nothing off limits, that they can ask me or my wife anything they want. We're not going to be uh, offended or judgmental. Uh, but we're going to really let them ask whatever they want and really be open because if, if, if young people, whether they're in our own household or those within our lives, if you're an educator at a school or whatever, regardless of the age, we need these safe spaces. And I think as a parent, as your children get older, let's to your example of in, in high school, the thinking of the college is that you need to make sure, I think, in that continuation of, of, of learning the free exchange of ideas that whatever college or colleges you're looking at, that they truly are promoting that. It doesn't have to necessarily be a quote unquote Christian college, but it should be one universities of all places that will really promote the, the free exchange of ideas. And unfortunately, as you were well aware, that is diminishing. And so I would say to, to any parent out there is that it doesn't mean you're again, you're that your child has to go to some into some bubble. And, you know, you need to protect them from, you know, something that, I mean, it's the real world. They're going to be challenged soon enough. In fact, they've probably seen and, and heard and read things that you wish they had not already and you don't know it. And so, again, you need to make sure as a parent that not only you, but others are in your life to reinforce the things that, that you believe in, but that there's always that posture of humility and that invites um, the questions, but also the doubts. And I would say the same thing with the colleges. So let's just say, for instance, your child wants to go to an Ivy League school and, you know, they get in and they're thinking of going there. Well, 
even though those schools, which each one was founded, uh, Judeo-Christian foundation, many of them to train ministers for vocational ministry, they may still have now have a divinity school, but in terms of the ethos of those environments, it's far different from its inception. Yet there are great parachurch ministries, you know, on campus and churches nearby that your child can still end up at that school, depending on what they may want to study and do. Uh, to where even though what they're hearing in the classroom may be antithetical to the faith, to me, that can only make them stronger as long as, they, again, they have the safe space uh, to where when they leave the classroom or on the weekends or whenever, that they can really work through these questions and challenges with other people. When I was challenged at University of Texas, uh, I had people in my life who I knew I could go to, and it was unfortunate in that some of the times when I would go back to share the things I had been learning that were really challenging the scriptures in terms of textual criticism, the worst thing in the world that I, what I would hear is, you know, I don't know, I've never heard that before. Because then it made me think, um, have you been duped and you're fitting the caricatures of these being these uh, narrow-minded, biblically inept, culturally irrelevant Christians? They loved God. They preached the truth and all that. They loved me. But I needed to have a place to go where I could really ask those tough questions uh, and work through them. And so as long as whatever the school may be, whatever that environment may be, I would say as a parent, uh, there are forms of intellectual or spiritual inoculation that occurs now. It's just part of the process of parenting and discipleship. But make sure of the next step that there are those people that can continue that process. And as long as you have that in place as a parent, I think you should feel comfortable sending your child really to any any type of environment, whether that be in New York City or like at a King's College. But also if it was New York at Columbia or NYU, I think that, uh, again, if you're intentional about the people in their life that will continue to shepherd them, then I think you'll be in good shape. And so that that would be my probably one of the most important suggestions I could give to a parent as you're thinking about that next step of your your child's maturation, uh, certainly on in for, with that formal education. And you know, one interesting thing is I think sometimes maybe there's a tendency for uh, I was involved in a parachurch organization that provided spiritual some spiritual sustenance, but also would say things like, it doesn't matter what grades you get in college. God just wants you to serve him. And I had a problem with that. I told the leaders, you know, wait a second. I think it is important for me to get, to try to get decent grades. It is important for me to have goals in my career. And there was a disconnect between the heart and the head. They wanted everybody to go do mission work. And I really felt, and that was the only parachurch group we had on our campus. And then on the other side of the coin, I think, um, maybe Christian colleges, sometimes uh, the, the temptation is to, in the classroom, maybe not to allow for as open debate or as, you know, robust intellectual engagement, but to to give a lot more spiritual. So again, it's a head and heart disconnect. Absolutely. And I'm really grateful to be at the King's College. Uh, and it's one of the things I think is really strong about the institution where, where you and I are affiliated is that I think it has a very good balance of those two. We encourage people to wrestle with to study, you know, Old Old Testament, New Testament from an academic lens. And in every class, there's also spiritual formation. And so uh, I guess for a hat of administrators, for a hat of, let's say, people working at in education, could be Mm -hmm. K-12 or college, I guess. How do they, how should they try to, individuals, I guess, whether, whether they're leaders of institutions or teachers or administrators, how can they improve 
the elimination of that disconnect? Well, I think one of the most important things that I've, from, from experience that I have gained is that um, though I've been involved with Christian institutions, they were not covenant institutions in that you did not have to profess to be uh, a Christian to attend those schools. There's no better way to interact with people different than you and to hear these different ideas and to work through them and learn from one another, uh, except for being around those people. And so when I was headmaster of an Episcopal school, uh, I'd say, you know, maybe half the students, a little more, uh, were actually Christians or belonged to Christian parents. And yet, so with that, naturally, uh, even though the, all the teachers uh, were Christians and the mission of the school was clearly uh, a biblical one and all classes were taught through the worldview, Christian worldview lens, uh, it also enabled just a really open dialogue. And what I found was for many of those involved in their local churches, these evangelical Christians, they never got that in church at youth group or whatever from the pulpit, but they got it in the classroom and within the school environment. And what I would have, many of these parents would tell me, they would say, you know what, we love our church, we love our youth group, we love our youth minister, but much, much of the true learning, the real deep learning of head and heart that you were talking about is actually happening at our school. And, you know, it takes a, a village or, or a couple to raise each child, right, the best that we can. And I do think that there should be a, a type of partnership. Well, clearly there is. It's organic. But uh, I think at a school like King's College, it's the same thing, is that though it's Christian faculty and staff and a Christian mission, that not everyone that attends there um, is a Christian. And so I think, look, that's reality. That's the real world. Because what will you do? Will you continue to perpetuate this never-ending uh, youth group or youth camp or whatever? That, I mean, that's just not the real world. And nor is that where Jesus would want us to be in terms of ambassadors for Christ in trying to fulfill the Great Commission. It's that, no, you're, you're to be, you know, um, of the world, in the world, however you want to look at it. It's, it's uh, you're in it, but not of it. In that it's, uh, this is the arena of redemption, Right is that life's a, life's a vapor, and what a great opportunity we have to use our uh, everything we've been given to worship and live out our calling for God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah. Churches, as you mentioned, and youth groups you, met, you just mentioned, they're also part of the equation of a, of a person's faith formation. Some churches seem to me like they, they treat uh, young people or humans as if you're a child in a family or you're a parent in a family and they right. have a harder time seeing someone who's like 18. Are there any churches you've seen that are doing really well on that front that have figured out how to um, minister to their congregations in that, that sort of middle age group there? I think it's the, I think it, it really, the, the few that I've seen do it well are the ones that are, are really open. They, they may even have a, an elective or a type of, um, weekly gathering at their church that's, you know, um, for skeptics only or whatever, that it's really to just invite people who they're in the church, but they don't claim to be Christians or maybe they do and they have all kinds of doubts and there's a, but there's a specific place, a unique environment in which they can ask those, those tough questions. Uh, Tim Keller in New York at Redeemer had done this for years early on. It's like after the sermon, he would stay around for 45 minutes or an hour and let anyone ask any questions they might want to ask that obviously will not be addressed in the context of, of the sermon or the corporate gathering. And so I think the churches that provide the opportunities like that, are are doing it well and and again i think it's it's that safe space or safe environment in which they can do that 
I think it's the same applies to the youth ministries that are there. Uh, having been a youth minister for years, uh, I think one thing uh, that was an unfortunate trend was that many of, you know, the youth ministers, uh, myself included, felt like, you know, we're, we love God, we love the students, we're called to minister to them. And you might take the path of least resistance in the seminary and take the shorter degree that did not have, you know, the, you might take the MA over the MDiv because it was less on the theology or the history of the languages in that. Cause you thought, you know what, I just need to get in here into my full-time calling the vocation to provide for my own family, but then to just be in this vocation for God. And yet what happened was you can only give what you have received. And you as a, as an educator, especially as a, as a, as a, you know, clergy, uh, if you haven't worked through these difficult uh, questions or issues yourself, which many of these students will run into, well, then how in the world will you help them to work through those those tough topics? And I alluded to that earlier when I went back to the well, many people in my life, those some of the, some of these um, questions to do with textual criticism or canonization. That was the first time that some of these uh, seminary trained ministers had had ever really heard or wrestled with this. I can't tell you the number of times I've had young people who grew up in the church um, that they're one of the statistics that they walk away from the faith. I think now Barna or someone says it's like 75% will walk away before they finish college. Well, most of the ones that I've gotten to know personally, well, you know what I'll hear time and time again is they'll say to me, there really wasn't much to walk away from. Hmm. I never really studied the scriptures. I didn't know history or how the church was formed or the Bible. And therefore, who cares? And when there's so many other things vying for their attention, the last thing you want as a young person is to have something infringe upon those new newfound freedoms, right? And especially if you've got this, you know, dogmatic, rigid in your face, the Bible says, you know, don't do this, don't do that. Um, you're going to push that aside. Most of the time, you're just going to push that aside and you may or may not return to that. But on the other hand, if you have a student that's really, work through church history and some of the doctrine and things. And that's a lot of what I do in the book. And that's where the whole subtitle of before college, then career and eternity. These are things you may, you, whether you're 35 and grew up in the church and walked away, this book's for you. If, if you're the young person that's never received any of this, I think it's an aid to those youth ministers or, or youth workers or pastors to say, hey, let's look at some of these difficult topics that are seldom addressed ever. In from the pulpit or, or in a you know Sunday school or the youth ministries, but here's a resource you can point to that has questions at the end of each chapter, but also suggestions for, for further reading to help these you know students go deeper. So what I'm trying to do essentially is invite the conversation and to really encourage um, the learning and the discovery, and hopefully it comes through through history, but also you know the doctrine and in the Bible itself. To me, I think. Uh... Uh, making sure one f fully understands what I think is a uh, incredible, incredible system here. I think is what you're doing uh, with this book, and and I hope a lot of people buy it and read it. Tell us where they can find this book before you leave for college, career, and eternity. Yeah, the easiest way is where we all go to now. It's Amazon.com. So just go into Amazon, and you can just type in "before you leave for college, career, and eternity," and you can order it. Uh, through the Kindle version and download immediately, or you can order the paperback version and get it, you know, in a few days. So, um, 
yeah, and I look I look forward to you know to hearing more and uh, for the feedback. And I'm yeah. just grateful for the opportunity to even talk with you about it, Paul. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much yeah. for being here, Todd. And you can also check out toddvonhelms.com, it looks like, to get updates or to links to where you can can buy this book. So exactly right. thanks again and great to have you as a guest on our podcast. This episode of the Religion Unplugged podcast was hosted by executive editor Paul Gladder, edited and produced by Peter Freeby. Special thanks to Religion Unplugged managing editor Megan Clark. The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of religionunplugged.com and is a part of The Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award-winning global religion news coverage or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or The Media Project, visit religionunplugged.com or follow us on Twitter at religionmag.